All right, all right, all right. Thank you, guys. I just posted my first thought uh, podcast of the evening, a hard update. So if you want to know what's going on, listen to that first. But so tonight, like I said, is very special because we're going to delve into some people that we need to be aware of. And I am referring to Joyce Meyer and Joel Olstein. And the reason that I decided to do this podcast tonight was because I did I, I read an article on uh, Joyce Meyer and um, and uh, it's it's an eye-opening thing. It's an eye-opening uh, thing. See if I can find it. Okay, here we go. The teachings of Joyce Meyer. This is this is the article that I found. Joyce Meyer is a popular Pentecostal preacher living outside of St. Louis, Missouri, which has been who has been in full time ministry since 1980. She's a best selling author um, in the Christian market, and her books cover everything from America's Christian heritage to weight loss. But she is perhaps best known for her radio and television program, Life in the Word, both of which are broadcast nationally and internationally. Meyer shares the platform from time to time with Word of Faith teachers like, for example, Kenneth Copeland and Jesse DePlantis, Benny Hinn and T.D. Jakes. CRI is critical and concerned with some of her podcasts, practices, and teachings. In her 1991 booklet, The Most Important Decision You Will Ever Make, she teaches a hallmark doctrine of faith theology, namely that Christ had to suffer in hell to atone for our sins and be born again. Okay, so let me read that to you again. Christ had to suffer in hell to atone for our sins and be born again. Where in the Christian Catholic Bible is that? Guys, that itself should tell you to run the hell away from her and not listen to her. But obviously, a lot of people believe her crap. Let me continue. During that time he entered hell, where you and I deserve to go legally because of our sin, he paid the price there. No plan was too extreme. Jesus paid on the cross and in hell. God rose up from his throne and said to demon powers tormenting the sinless Son of God, Let him go. Then the resurrection power of Almighty God went through hell and filled Jesus. He was resurrected from the dead, three-fourths the first born-again man. Her assertions are not unlike those of leading Word of Faith proponent Kenneth Copeland, who also believes Christ's death on the cross was not sufficient to atone for our sins and that his work of redemption was completed by suffering in hell and being born again, according to Copeland. Again, where in the Christian Bible is that? Yes, it says that Christ descended into hell, but... He freed the righteous souls living there. He didn't suffer there. Let me continue reading. When Jesus cried, it is finished, he was not speaking of the plan of redemption. There were still three days and nights to go through before he went to the throne. Jesus' death on the cross was only the beginning of the complete work of redemption. The word of the living God went down into the pit of destruction and charged the spirit of Jesus with resurrection power. 
Suddenly, his twisted, death-wracked spirit began to fill out and come back to life. He began to look like something the devil had never seen before. He was literally being reborn before the devil's very eyes. He began to flex his spiritual muscles. Jesus was born again three-fourths, the firstborn from the dead. Where's the three-fourths come from? What is that? Do you guys hear how stupid her theology is and how it does not at all sound compatible with Christian doctrine? And I'm not even talking Catholic doctrine here. I'm talking Christian doctrine. Nowhere in the Christian Bible or in Christian theology does it say any of this crap. Let me continue reading if you don't believe me. According to a recently published interview with freelance writer Ken Walker, however, Mayer contradictorily denies ever believing or teaching that Christ was born again in hell. Moreover, in her 1991 booklet, Mayer asserts that salvation is impossible without believing Jesus suffered in hell as a believer's substitute. Mayer writes, There is no hope of anyone going to heaven unless they believe the truth, this truth that I am presenting. You cannot go to heaven unless you believe with all your heart that Jesus took your place in hell. What? Guys, this is ridiculous. I, I don't understand where in the Bible is she getting this. Let me continue reading. While historic Christianity has debated the issue of whether or not Jesus actually descended into hell... I.e.G. A.G. to disclaim the book, declare victory, etc. No Orthodox believer ever held to the belief that Christ suffered and atoned for our sins in hell, rather on the cross. Yet, word of faith teachers, including Joyce Meyer, teach the necessity of Jesus having to pay for our sins in hell under the torment of Satan and his angels, three-fourths of teaching, both unsubst unsubstantiated and contrary to Scripture. The entirety of Christ's atoning work, i.e. his suffering and death in our place, occurred on the cross, e.g. 1 Peter 2.24, ending with his proclamation, it is finished. The Christ, the Christ of faith theology literally had to become sin, taking on the nature of Satan while in hell, thereby needing to be born again in hell before his resurrection could occur. Here's some, okay, so let's break that down for a minute before we get into the other questionable teachings. So, pretty much what she's saying is that Christ was only part of the redemption was on the cross. The other half, he had to go to hell. That's taking the Nicene Creed too literally. The Nicene Creed says he died and descended, he was buried and descended into hell. That's taking it literally. What he actually did is he went into hell to free the souls that we're living there, the righteous souls, because before he came down, heaven was closed to those because of the sin in the world. So he goes and to free the souls that were living there that died before him so the righteous could go to heaven. That's what we mean by descending into hell. Other questionable teachings. Mayer also advocates particular peculiar and unbiblical manifestations at church gatherings and attributes them to the power of God. She proclaims, You gotta come out, come on out in the deep. Oh, I think the world's anointed right now. Deep, mmm. One lady was in a conference recently in St. Louis, and she said, I'm telling you, every time you said the word deep, the fire of God hit me right in the pit of my guts. This lady, she kept falling out of her chair and being on the floor, you know? And she said later, every time you said deep, it was like I couldn't stay in my chair. Okay, number one, how does a minister of God talk like that? 
And number two, if you're not familiar with Pentecostal preachers, they believe in, like, spirit tongues and speaking in tongues and all these weird mystic crap. So that's what that is if you're confused. But who talks like that? Who talks like that? Like, I, I don't understand, guys. I hope you're listening to this right now. And I, I hope you're hearing me out. Because this is some scary stuff. And people support her. Let me continue reading. For a refutation of this and other unbiblical phenomena in slain in the spirit, we recommend Hank, uh, Hank and Grass book, Counterfelt Revival. Although there is no biblical precedent, she makes the assertion that angels tell her what to preach. Now, spirits don't have bodies, so we can't see them, okay? There probably is. I believe there is. And I certainly hope there are several angels up here this morning that are preaching with me. I believe that right before I speak some anointed statement to you, that one of them bends over and says in my ear what I'm supposed to say to you. She goes on to promote the superstitious belief that certain kinds of jewelry attract evil spirits. There are many different signs and emblems that people wear as jewelry that are straight from the devil, and they absolutely do not know it. And I'm quite sure there are going to be people here today that probably even have some of these things on your possession. You may even be wearing one, and what they do is they draw evil spirits. Okay, this is mystic crap, guys. This is mystic crap. Because, obviously, that's not the case. Jewelry does not attract evil spirits. That's not how it works. So you're looking more at more like mystic mystic things going on here. In lieu of the biblical admit, admission to test everything by the objective word of God, Mayer further says that God would never allow her to fall into error. Turning instead to her subjective feelings, she says, I'm going to tell you something right now. I no more believe that my God is going to let me stand around and believe a lie that I believe, that I'm going to turn green in the next few minutes. God is my source, and he loves me, and I am after God with my whole heart. And if I am accidentally or in any other way getting into error, I'm going to have a bell go off in the inside of me that is going to be so loud that not only am I going to hear it, but everyone else's too. Despite what Mayor's feelings tell her, Scripture says otherwise. The Apostle Peter is a constant reminder of our pro- prolectivity for committing error and demonstrated, for example, by Christ rebuking a Peter for attempting to deter him from his mission, and later by being publicly rebuked by the Apostle Paul for yielding to the pressure of the Jesuits. Were it not possible for Mary to fall into deception and error, Scripture's repeated warnings, e. Matt 24, 5, 5, all these, these different readings you can look up, would be meaningless. Also problematic are some of Meyer's beliefs regarding spiritual warfare. According to her, for instance, generational spirits are supposedly torment families for generations with specific sins, and she even believes that a demon of lust torments her family. On one occasion, she said, I told you that there was a spirit of incest in my family bloodline, and the thing that I want you to understand today is there is when there's a spirit like that in a bloodline, until some person believes on Jesus and takes the blood of Jesus and draws it across this natural bloodline, that devastation goes on for generations and generations. Well, see, my father's grandfather had problems, and so his father had problems, and so my dad had problems, and so I had problems, and so I wouldn't have stood and believed Jesus. My kids would have had problems, and their kids would have had problems, and so on and so on. Scripture, however, does not support the existence of demons or spirits 
of lust, nor any demon of a particular sin. It is true that certain sins, e alcoholism, are, per are perpetuated and can affect families for generations. But these are not the consequences of sin. Three-fourth generosal spirits. James' epistle is clear that we sin because of our own evil desires. Demons cannot force us to sin. However, they can influence our behavior through temptation. Nevertheless, we are ultimately held accountable for our actions. This were not so, we would have license to exclaim, The devil made me do it. Along similar lines, he believes that there are mind-bending spirits who keep multitudes of believers in a perpetual state of unbelief. Through deliverance, however, the attacks of mind-bending spirits will disappear. In her case, when the spirits left me, the ability to believe came rushing back. Meyer overemphasizes and distorts the perimeters in which God permits Satan and his angels to work by attributing practically every negative experience to de de demonic activity. There is even a de demon of accidents. For example, she recounts experiencing a close call while pulling in and out of a fast food restaurant parking lot. She shouts, I rebuke the spirit of accidents in the name of Jesus. Her false view of dynamic activity propagates a paranoid and superstitious mindset while obscuring the work of Christ, human accountability, and biblical views of spiritual warfare. Because of Joyce Meyer's adherence to a major tenet of word of faith theology and her subjective and unbiblical teachings concerning spiritual warfare, CRI cannot recommend her ministry. CRI will continue to monitor Mrs. Meyer's practice and teachings. We will peri periodically update this statement as necessary. So, pretty much, guys, she, you want to get the heck away from her. Okay? Because she has such a twisted view of Christianity and the Bible and Christ, and none of it makes sense. And, you know, it's, uh, it's really sad that there are thousands of people who give her money and attend her conferences and deal and suck up her quote-unquote teaching with so much zeal. What does it say in, I believe it's in Peter, beware of false teachers that will lead you astray. Well, there's a good example. There's a, there's a perfect example. Now, I'm going to look up Jolie Olstein. Um, they might not have done one on him yet. Nope. Okay. So let me go to Google. Oh, let me do this one. Beliefs of Beliefs of Joel Osteen. Okay. Here's another article. Who is Joel Olstein and are his teachings biblical? 
Here we go. Who is Joel Osteen and what is his teachings? So, here's your answer. Joel Osteen is the pastor of the largest church in the United States, Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. His wife, Victoria, is co-pastor. The Osteens teach a message of hope, healing, and forgiveness. Osteen's television program is viewed by 20 million people each month in almost 100 countries around the world. In 2004, Joel published the best-selling book, Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Living Your Life at Full Potential. Joel Osteen's parents, John and Dodie Osteen, founded Lakewood Church in 1959 and promoted the ministry through a television broadcast. Joel got involved in media production, overseeing the church's broadcast starting in 1982. But when John died in 1999, Joel accepted the position of senior pastor of Lakewood. The basic doctrine of Joel Olstein, as summarized on his church's website, is orthodox enough. The inherent and inspiration of the Bible, the true, true on nature of God, the salvation by faith in Christ are all affirmed. The doctrinal problems come in other areas. Although Lakewood Church is non-denominational, Olsten's teaching is rooted in Pentecostalism, and he teaches that physical hearing and will wellness were provided in Christ's atonement. Jesus came that we might have a more abundant life. He came to carry our weakness, our sickness, our pain, so we could walk in total freedom, peace, power, and purpose. Overreaching all that, Joel and Victoria Olstein teach is the prosperity gospel. God's will is that we bless with material things, a view that contradicts 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. As the Lakewood Church website says, To be successful in your walk of God, commit to honor God with your finances. When you commit to give the Lord the first 10% of your income, God promises he will pour out blessings for you, blessings you cannot contain. Tithing is the first key to financial prosperity. Lakewood's website then quotes the favorite proof text from this teaching, Malachi 3.10. It is a prime example of taking old covenant promises to Israel out of context and apply them to new covenant believers. Another problem in Osteen's message is he promotes name it, claim it, or word of faith theology. We have to conceive it on the inside before we're ever going to receive it on the outside, Osteen writes. If you don't think you can have something good, then you never will. The barrier is in your mind. Your own wrong thinking can keep you from God's best. To experience God's immeasurable favor, you must rid yourself of that small-minded thinking and start expecting God's blessings. Oh my God, this is making me sick reading this. Start anticipating promotion and supernatural increase. You must conceive it in your heart before you can receive it. In other words, you must make increase in your own thinking. Then God will bring these things to pass. There is nothing biblical about such teaching. There is no power inherent in positive thinking, and we do not create our own realities. God is not our servant, standing by and waiting for us to fire our imagination so he can lavish us with material goods. Jesus told his followers to, followers to give up everything you have, not to seek to get more. More often than not, Olstein sounds like an inspirational life coach instead of a herald of the gospel. He often preaches about how people can improve their lives, be prosperous, and experience happiness. Noticeably absent is in Olstein's optimistic message is any mention of sin or repentance. The atonement of Christ provides us with healing and the abundance of life, according to Olstein, but apparently receiving forgiveness from a holy God is not necessary. In numerous interviews and writings, Alston has failed to proclaim that Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
He has refu- he has repeatedly refused to agree with the teachings of the Bible that contain beha- that's that certain behaviors are sinful. This is not a new convert being interviewed. It's the leader of a church of tens of thousands. Osteen can't bring himself to support fundamental doctrines of the faith he claims to preach. His words communicate relativism and demonstrate a profoundly poor understanding of the Bible. When you don't talk about sin, and Osteen purposely does not, you're not preaching the whole gospel. When you barely, if ever, call sin what it is, you're not helping anyone, least of all the sinner who is enslaved to sin. John 8, 34, uh, John 8, 34, 2 Corinthians 4, 3. Joel Olstein teaches that we are being saved from happiness and failure in life, not from sin and God's wrath. Olstein does not teach that we need a divine re- rescue from judgment, but rather simply a self-improvement plan. Listening to Olstein, a person would think God primarily wants to make poor people wealthy and people happy and insecure people self-confident. But according to the Bible, God primarily wants to make dead people live, wicked people righteous, his enemies his friends. Happiness, self-assurance, and eternal prosperity, according to the Bible, come as a result of submission to God's will, starting with salvation and always in the context of his will. New Testament believers are never promised health and wealth in the here and now. Our inheritance is kept in heaven for us. 1 Peter 1 4. Preaching a gospel of self motivation and financial gain is short sighted in that its focus is on the world which is passing away. Better to preach the need for repentance and faith and leave the rest to God. Olstein's message is sweet, attractive, and pretty. It comes with the million-dollar smile, a heaping helping of the feel-goods, and all the motivation of the best self-help gurus. That message is also hollow, weak, and devoid of any real value. The most important parts of the gospel are left out, supposedly to broaden his ministry's appeal. Anyone depending on that message without recognizing what's missing is going to find find himself spiritually hungry, frustrated, and in dire straits when a real disaster strikes. What Joel Olstein pushes is a shell of a legitimate biblical Christianity at best, and a dangerous counterfelt at worst. When all you have to offer is materialism as emotion, you're not an evangelist. You're a motivational speaker who borrows religious terminology. Nothing Olstein says is going to help a person with legitimate questions about faith and salvation. His message won't build a really, won't build real disciples. There's no more substance for the believer than for the unbeliever. Nor is his message going to sustain faith in crisis. When things get bad, people quickly realize God's blessings don't come merely because they think happy thoughts. And if personal property is the measure of their success as a Christian, then Olstein's teaching has merely set them up for a fall. A true preacher of the gospel does not avoid any topic, especially the crucial ones, such as sin and mortality, simply because some people don't like to hear it. And true men of God don't emphasize material success and positive emotion cover over the truth. Sincere or not, honest or not, well-intended or not, Joel and Victoria Olstein are not preaching the gospel, and neither are their prosperity preachers. Olstein and his like should not be supported by those with love for spiritual truth and a concern for the lost. I love that article. I'm telling you right now, that article was perfect. So, to summarize... Don't watch these two fools, guys, because they're not going to give you the full truth. There's nothing about suffering. There's nothing about repentance. There's nothing about sinning. None of it. And to give you an example about suffering, I'm going to be, I'm suffering. 
We all are called to suffer. I've talked about that before, and I feel like I keep coming back to it. And this is why. If you guys listen to any of these people, if you watch any of these people, if you bought any of their stuff, burn it. Throw it away. Because it's going to lead you to hell. There is no truth to them. There is no witness to them. Stay course to the Catholic Church and the Christian Bible. Those are your best defense. Not some crap that they come up with that makes you feel good about yourself. It might help for now, but it's not going to help you in eternal life. Like I said, guys, do not listen to their crap. Because that's all it is. Crap. And if you want to listen to it, go ahead and get off my page. Because I'm going to contradict every single thing they say. Because none of it's true. No need for repentance, no need for changing your life, no need of conforming yourself to him. There's, it's none of that. It's, it's all thrown out the window as if like 90% of the Bible doesn't matter. It's what you pick and choose, what you want to believe, what you want to listen, what you want to think that day. There's nothing about Christ's teaching in there. None of it. Like, it doesn't matter. Guys, it disgusts me that there are people who listen to these people. Really. I'm not kidding. There are people who listen to this crap. And they think it's religious. Guys, it is so far from religion, it's not even funny. It's a piece of crap. It, 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 religion makes a mockery of this stuff, guys. And that's why I am totally opposed to it. And you should be too. If you have any questions or you just want to want me to go in more detail about some of their stuff, if you want me to go on the websites and contradict all their belief statements, I will. It's totally up to you guys as to what you want to hear. But seriously, guys, don't listen to it. Don't buy their crap. Don't listen to anything they say because it's all wrong. None of it is based in biblical truth. None of it has any standing. And most importantly, none of it's going to help you get to heaven. As always, my name is Catherine Baldwin, and you have been listening to 100% Biblical, 100% Catholic Reflections. Good night.